Good morning, everyone. Welcome to winter. Hasn't this been great? I think it's funny, well, we go out on the back patio at night, and now my wife comes out and like sticks her leg out to see if she should go put on a sweater or something. It sure beats sweating at 10 o'clock at night on your patio. But welcome today. What a great beginning of, of a wonderful book. Um, I remember when, when Al said, hey, let's do this a while back. I was like, ooh, this will be fun. So here we are. Here we are. Uh, we'll be here for a while. Um, we, we do need to take some time, though, and just in, in your personal time, make sure you pray for the fires. I don't know if because of the winds we've seen it so bad. Maybe Chelsea has in, in her neck of the woods. But, I mean, I was on at the rocket site on Thursday, and it was like nighttime. And then driving home, I'm like driving through just the clouds just pouring over from the bobcat fire so let's just remember those guys and it was kind of eerie reading this one woman's um, posts how they were going to bed that night and they were listening to the sounds of propane tanks exploding in the distance from the fires so I'm surprised she didn't talk about where they landed either because that is a crazy thing uh, when a propane tank becomes a missile um, so Wednesday, Wednesday also, we got to go and serve at Grace Resources. Soma got to go bless a local restaurant by having them prepare meals ready to go. And then we got to go actually hand them out because they didn't know how it would go. They didn't want their staff to do it because they just got outhouses put in at Grace Resources with wash stations. Now, it may not seem like much, but I asked him, I was like, what's been going on? Because you just can't go to a bathroom anywhere. Everything's locked down. And in fact, Colleen threatened me because I have in our Amazon cart these little kits where you can just kind of like go portable. And she's like, no. I said, but, but when you're down in LA, you, you know, everything's shut down. So I can imagine how it is for the homeless. So. Um, they got to go use those. We got to hand out food and, and just, you know, hand out to people. It was interesting because you don't realize how rough it is till one woman asked us what type of sandwich it is. And we said, well, we go neutral. We just get turkey. And she said, good, because like ham messes with the cancer meds. So it's like, oh, oh, and you're living out where? So... Um, the next thing we want to do is just talking to them. We found out that some people don't show up. Some churches that make that commitment for whatever reason can't show up. So I was talking to their leadership and said, you know, what if we as a church gave you like a bin that you can use like an emergency kit? So um, like marinara sauce, spaghetti noodles, some seasonings and whatnot and some vegetables, the kind of things that last for a couple of years. So we were out and about, so we popped into Smart and Final and looked at these cans. 
they're good for two years. <laughs> That's not going bad anytime soon. So I was like, awesome, awesome. So we're going to need some people to go ahead, put those together. I told them we can mark it. Say, if you ever use this on the bottom of it, is how to contact us to get it replenished. It really wouldn't cost that much to put a kit together. Because she was telling us some of the creative things that she made, like cereal, milk, and something else. I forgot what it was. That you're handing out to people for dinner. It's just in the case of emergency. But I mean, I like breakfast for dinner, but I think I'd want something a little more substantive. So we plan on doing that. And then they're also giving us more dates. I need to share with Al and see if we want to do that. That is such a blessing, though, because before we would just, everyone would pitch in and go. Now, because it needs to be containerized, we get to actually bless a restaurant that, that's suffering during this time and, and pay for their meal and then take this over and serve it. So that's just a pleasure to get to go do. So where are we going today? We are getting to start this long journey long journey through the book of Isaiah. 66 chapters we're going to go through. This is the sixth longest book in the Bible. It has 25,608 words. There will be a test. Isaiah is the second most quoted book after Psalms. Isaiah is quoted 55 times by the New Testament books. Psalms is quoted 68 times. Um, this book roughly covers the years of 740 to 686 B.C. And the thing is, Isaiah, this is relatively new, a couple thousand years old, where you can see where Isaiah is built around three messianic portraits. So we have the king. The king is from chapters 1 to 37. We have the servant chapters, 38 through 55, and then we have the anointed conqueror chapters from 56 to 66. So I want to encourage you as we go through this not to be on the sidelines. I want you to get in and read this book in its entirety many times. I know I just... I last community group, I told them, hey, it takes like 40 minutes to read the book. <laughs> I tried it again. No, I had to come back and say, no, it's, it's like an hour and a half if you speed read. Um, so I challenge them to spend at least 38 minutes a day in this book, 38 minutes a day in the book of Isaiah, just reading it um, and, and for the whole time. Because the thing is, this is such a powerful book. It really is. It not only talks about the current events in Judah and Jerusalem in Isaiah's lifetime as a prophet, but the real picture it shows to us over and over is Jesus. I know I shared with my community group about Paul. We just finished one of Paul's letters in Ephesians, and Paul probably had large segments of Isaiah memorized. That's what they did and he was the Jew's Jew. So you got to imagine, a book like Isaiah, he had whole sections memorized. So you can only imagine, it's one of my things that, you know, 
I challenge you to write down, okay, when I get to heaven, what did Bill challenge me to do? Oh yeah, he said, go find Paul and ask him, hey, after your conversion, when you were in the desert reading this, wow, what did your eyes tell you? What did the Spirit bring to you about seeing now Jesus in Isaiah that you didn't before? What a, what a magical time, and it had to astonish him. And you see so many references by Paul in his letters from Isaiah that he wrote the churches about. Now, not just Paul, but all the Gospels, all the Gospels have many references to Isaiah in them. And they all quote Isaiah 40, verse 3, which talk about John the Baptist coming. So my point is to you is this is such a rich book that God gave us. Spend time in this book. Spend time. Get to know it. Because, frankly, we're not going anywhere for a while. We will be here. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, we just want to commend you so much. So much how you were hidden from the Old Testament people. They knew about Messiah but they didn't see you plainly as we can today through you coming and through the Holy Spirit's witness. Thank you for your love for us. We see it in many ways in Isaiah as we go through it. Thank you for the opportunity to be called yours. And we praise you that one day Jerusalem will be our home in heaven. We thank you so much. So, 66 chapters, over 25,000 words. Today, we're just going to look at 1-1, Isaiah 1-1. It says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Azaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah. So who the author is? It's Isaiah. And who was he? Well, we were the told he is the son of Amos. He was a prophet in Judah and in Jerusalem. We only see his dad's name in connection with Isaiah's name all through this book. But we realize that his family must have had a high rank in, in the royals in Jerusalem, in, in their kingdom structure, structure, because we see Isaiah had readily access to the king. Now, if we remember the kingdom structure, even by looking at a book like Esther, you see what it required to come before the king. You need to have permission or your life could be ended. Um, but we don't see that with Isaiah. He has readily has access to the throne. Side note, books you can read in connection with Isaiah in case Isaiah is not enough for you and you want to read some of the contemporaries around there. Some of the kings that I mentioned, you can see them, and we're going to walk through some of these, in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and then some of his contemporary um, prophets at around this time are Amos, Hosea, and then the most contemporary, in fact, also use some of Isaiah's words or vice versa, is Micah. Micah. And that is an easier read. I read that whole book 
this morning. It was a whole lot easier. Isaiah, I wouldn't be here yet. But um, Micah was, was a great book to read, and it's, it's a real contemporary of Isaiah's. Now, Isaiah was married, and he had two sons, and their names we're going to learn about. Uh, the origin of their names and why in, in 7.3 and in 8.3. Because they had symbolic names. The first one, excuse my Hebrew, is Shi'ar Jashub, with meaning a remnant will return. The other one, which is Maha Shalahazbaz, and I watched YouTube to learn how to pronounce this so many times, and I still butchered it, is the spoil speeds and the prey hastens. Now, Isaiah does prophesy about a third child, and his name is Emmanuel. This child, his prophecy, covers a specific topic that would take place by the time 13 years had ended, and that was the utter removal of the northern kingdom as a people. But later the full prophecy would go into effect, and this is our Savior. And we will go over it once we get to chapter 8, and Emmanuel's name means, of course, God with us. And there are over 30 passages in Isaiah on the fulfilled prophecy of Christ's first advent. And there are four songs, you might remember this from Easter this year, There are four songs that prophesy and describe what our suffering servant in Christ will go through. I think we'll be in this book for two Easter's, so maybe the the worship band can can play some of these. Um, There are 42, 1 through 9, 49, 1 through 13, 50, 4 through 11, and 52, 13 through 53, 12. And Isaiah has some very specific prophecies that leave no doubt. There's no question what they mean. Not just about Jesus, but if you look at chapter 44, verse 28, God tells us the name of the Persian king that would free the Israelites from captivity. So this is about 300 years before he's even on the scene. His name is given. Um, it says in that verse, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose? Amazing. Amazing. So we actually get to a part and, and read where this prophet, we get to see his calling. You don't get to see that on, on all the prophets. But we get to an Isaiah. But that's not all the way until chapter 6. And Isaiah the prophet served God under the reigns of the kings of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And the last king that he would be alive under, his name's not mentioned here, and this was Manasseh. Manasseh was a brutal king who was was the son of Hezekiah. So, Like I mentioned earlier, there's other books that talk about this time period. So we can go to 2 Kings 21, 1 through 18, and that tells us something about 
Manasseh. So let's look at 21, 1 through 7, and then verse 16 in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, I'm sorry, 2 Kings. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. According to the despicable practices of the nations, whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord has said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his son as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and necromancers. And he did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And then 16 Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another besides the sin that he made Judah to sin, so they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now we know some of that high volume of blood that Manasseh spilled there, that twisted king, he spilt Isaiah's blood. Because Hebrews 11:35 through 37 tells us this, talking about the prophets. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, and they were killed with the sword. The sawn in the two, that was Isaiah. That was Isaiah. And then I always thought that maybe they just like cut him in half. But looking at, at pictures of what was done back then, I think they started around his backside and just sawed up through his head. And that was Manasseh, what an evil, evil man he was. Jesus said in Luke 13.33, talking about prophets and where they're always killed, he said, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Isaiah willingly took the mantle of a prophet, and he had to know that it was not going to end well. And Isaiah became a prophet after the death of King Uzziah. Uzziah had reigned 52 years and been a great king, had many successes, but in the end of his life, he blew it. He blew it. And I think Second Chronicles, as you read about these other kings, will be a great resource to you. And in Second Chronicles 26, we get to look at this king. And he did many great things in Judah and Jerusalem, 
But in verse 15, we learned that he had a great mind and, and had inventions that he had talented people make. So in 2 Chronicles 26, 15, the verse says, In Jerusalem, he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So over 700 years before Christ came on earth, Jerusalem had automatic weapons. Let that fester in for a moment. Automatic weapons. But Uzziah allowed pride to get the best of him, and he actually entered the temple and attempted to perform the work of a priest. And you figure, when you read about this, you think, you know what, I think he had to have a, like a small army following him here to do this because the passage says it took 80 priests. Now, these were 80 priests that weren't just priests alone, but they were mighty men of valor. And if you read in First and Second Samuel about the deeds of mighty men of valor, you realize that these are some incredible human beings. I mean, when you read what they can do and how many tens of thousands of men they wiped out on their own. So 80 of them, it took 80 of them to stop this king from performing the acts of a priest in the temple. And Uzziah, because of this, didn't repent, but he became angry with God's anointed priest. So God punished him with leprosy. And from that time forward, he lived separately from this people the rest of the life. And then his son Jotham came in and reigned, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Ahaz, one of the kings that, that Isaiah dealt mostly with, him and Hezekiah, was, it did evil on the side of the Lord. And God greatly punished the people of Israel, of Judah, I mean, in Jerusalem, because of Ahaz. So in 2 Chronicles 28, you can read all that God did to Judah because of Ahaz's evil. It was horrendous. And after Ahaz came Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a good king during Isaiah's time. So one thing that struck me as I went through this that I probably knew but didn't really pay too much attention to is during those reigns of the bad kings, and you're talking decades and multiple generations, there was no temple worship. And when Hezekiah became king, there was none. So at that time, there was probably close to 70 years of no real temple worship. Now, there was probably people in there worshiping Baal, but there was no worship to God going on. So in Hezekiah, in 2 Chronicles 29, he met with the Levites and priests and told them to consecrate themselves first. I love how he did that. Consecrate yourselves first and then the house of the Lord. So the Levites and the priests did the work. They cleaned God's house, the altar, and even had to work to replace some of the utensils that King Ahaz had discarded. And then in verse 20 tells us 
the temple worship began again. And the leaders, the leaders rose early in the morning, got up, and went to the house of the Lord and restored this worship to God. It's just amazing to think that in God's city, God's beautiful city, that that, that didn't take place. So I was stunned at the wickedness of God's people. Because in America, we have people that go everywhere, every week to church and their hearts not being it. But I just can't imagine, you know, even God's people living in his chosen city, um, not even some of them having a life based on the Lord. I know God kept his remnants. So that was probably going on outside of the temple. Somewhere else, God's people were probably performing worship to him, but it just wasn't in his city, in his temple. A side story on this, talking about how wicked Manasseh was, he did become a follower of God late in his life, but it took hooks being put into his body and chains around him and being led away, and he did realize that he needed God. And another side note, Manasseh's grandson, Josiah, became king at eight years old. And what he did was started seeking God, who was the, who was the God of his father, David. And so what was incredible, that they had not only abandoned worship in the temple, when they start, Josiah started having to clean it up and go through it, they found God's law. So they hadn't even read God's law. And so Josiah was so brokenhearted by this, um, he tore his clothes and, and, and had wise people start seeking God's counsel on it. So in Second Chronicles 35, we see Passover being kept again for the first time in two generations of kings. That's over 70 years. So back to Isaiah. As I mentioned earlier, Isaiah being called a prophet, we don't get that word or that picture until chapter 6. And that, that's because the book of Isaiah seems to start off the same way the book of Galatians does. Um, Galatians starts off with that typical greeting and then plunges right in to Paul giving it to him. Paul tells them in, in verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Isaiah's quicker. He goes into it in verse 2. And once verse 2 hits, God is using Isaiah to give it to all of his people, just giving it to him. And in verse 111, this should be a familiar passage to you because we hear it in, in so many other passages in the Bible. Verse 111 says, What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. 
I do not delight in the blood of bulls, of lambs, or of goats. And I looked at this, and I saw 20 other cross-references to other parts in the Bible that describe how God wants our hearts. He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us going through the motions. And then part of that, Proverbs 15, 8, adds this to it. The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is acceptable to him. And that's how we're to live. Seeking God, and when we fail in this life, which we will, before the day's over, repent and start moving forward again with our relationship with Christ. So Isaiah, like a, like a movie I like watching, takes you right into the action quickly and starts already describing the wickedness of Judah. They do not know who they belong to, and they are disobedient and they're seeking their own pleasure. But when we get to 4.3, you get a promise that's, that's ready for us to hold on to. It's called recorded for life. What a great promise that is when you think about it, that Christ is telling us that you belong to me and you will live forever with me. That's an awesome promise. So what I want to do now is since Isaiah, I told you, is such a rich, awesome book, I just want to walk you through some passages in Isaiah and then close. So in Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, it's called the Lord's chosen servant. Behold my servant whom I behold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit unto him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a fainting burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on earth and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the Old Testament belief as in Messiah, as reading the scriptures, that he was a good king. But we know Christ came first as that servant. Just a powerful message written so many years before Christ would even get here. And the coastlands is describing those that are away from Jerusalem. Isaiah 9.6. Isaiah 9.6. You will know this one. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, our King Messiah. And then 11, 1 through 5. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from the, his roots shall bear fruit, 
and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide dispute by what his ear hears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then this all takes place in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is, is a special city from long ago and it'll wind up being our home forever. And in Psalms 76, 1 through 2, it says, In Judah, God is known. His name is great in Israel. His abode has been established in Salem and his dwelling place in Zion. Now this is from Melchizedek the priest to now David. God is setting up his people to live in Jerusalem. In 2 Samuel 7.10 it says, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. And then Isaiah 2, 3. And if you're, when you're listening to this, think of when we went through Zechariah. And think of Zechariah 8, 20 through 21. That's what I did when I went through this. It says, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And then we hear, I am the Lord. In Isaiah 45, 5 and 6, I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other, the compassion of the Lord. And in 55, 1 it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. So this is in the section where it's Jesus the conqueror. And we see the benefits for the things he's telling them to buy are things that are there when the, everything is plentiful in the land. So we will see these benefits in the kingdom of heaven because of Jesus' great work, and it's no cost. House of Prayer, we're all familiar with this. Isaiah 56, 7. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar 
for my house shall be a called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is used in multiple places, and you see it in Mark 17, I mean 11:17. Jesus quotes this when he cleanses the temple during his Passion Week. Taking care of the hungry and afflicted, Isaiah 58:10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. So it's a command from the Lord to follow it and all will be well and you will be a light. And then we see as we went through Ephesians, we see where Paul drew some of the words that he used for the passage on armor of God. In Isaiah 59:17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. The Lord is telling us this figuratively, that he will come back and take vengeance on his enemies. And the future glory of Israel, we see it in Isaiah 61 and then verse 19. Arise, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor the brightness shall the moon give you light, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your, glory, and your God will be your glory. So if you think of how effective the sun is in lighting up this whole galaxy and these planets, it will be outdone by God's brightness. Isaiah 62, 12. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you shall not be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So it's another promise from the Old Testament telling us that we're going to be fully redeemed with Jesus. 66.18 tells us, For I know their works and their thoughts, and the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. 66.23 tells us, From new moon to new moon, and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come and worship before me, declares the Lord. Again, this is a powerful book. It's going to be exciting to go through it. So don't wait. Don't think, you know what? I, I will jump on and start reading this book tomorrow. Because before you know it, we'll be winding down. Really, really go through this book. Go through this book. Um, God established, I really believe, this book to feed so many others and showing us Jesus in a big way. And, and the fact that we, as in the, in the church age, get to see this and see Jesus, this is not something that's long ago. It's only been like 2,000 years. Like I said, this is part of that, the Bible that was hidden from the Old Testament. 
and now we get to see it. So thrive in this time. There's no better time to go through and see this with what's going on in the world to now we get to be assured and see that Jesus is complete control from long before the first advent. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you so much for this time to be in your word, to go through this. We thank you for this book. We thank you for all of our commitment to, to go into it, to study it, and not just be hearers of the word, but really learn this and become obedient to you in greater ways. We thank you for this challenge. Just an incredible, incredible book. Help us to not only look at Isaiah, Father, but to look at your historical books and, and look at Isaiah's contemporaries to get that whole picture of what's going on. We thank you again for this day. Thank you that we can come together. We pray for the people in harm's way from the fires and then people in harm's way from the exhaust of those fires. Just watch over them, keep them safe. May this fire come quickly to an end. May we see blue skies again and, and see your work in the rebuilding of these areas. We thank you for the chance just to reach out and help the people we have in need, Father. Help us to, to find people, put people in our path that we can help greater. Amen.